Empire podcast this week, we will be sitting down for tea and lemon cakes with Marjorie Tyrell, talking budgie smugglers with Rob Bryden, and celebrating Independence Day with our chums across the pond. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Empire podcast, brought to you as ever by Sky Cinema, the dedicated home for movie lovers. We'll be pulling out a couple of films from Sky Cinema's selection of over a thousand releases, with a new one every day, slightly later on the show. But for the meantime... Chris is out of town this week, having departed Middle-earth for the undying lands, leaving the podcast to fall once more into darkness under my all-seeing eye. I have a feeling you've been watching uh, Lord of the Rings recently, James, am I? It's true, it's Ah, true. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. In fact, in fact, there was some discussion last time I hosted that uh, I might have inadvertently hammed up the podcast a touch that I might have been things a little a little overblown a touch theatrical you let you let loose your theatrical side <laughs> laid it on a little thick is what we're saying so 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 never let it be said I don't listen to feedback so so You've we're going to be more so no bare bones bare right. bones this this week uh-huh. uh, completely bare bones keeping it strictly on a leash so two colleagues both cunning both lethal uh-huh. and uh, first up we have uh, I have the pride the privilege nay the pleasure <laughs> of introducing to you a podcaster sired by podcasters a podcaster who can trace his lineage back beyond charlemagne i first met him atop a mountain near jerusalem praying to god asking his forgiveness for the saracen blood spilt by his sword next he amazed me still further in Italy, when he saved a fatherless beauty from the would-be ravishing of her dreadful Turkish uncle. In Greece, he spent a year in silence to better understand the sound of a whisper. And so, without further gilding the lily, and with no more ado, I give to you the seeker of serenity, the protector of Italian virginity, the enforcer of our Lord God, the one, the only, Nick de Semlin! James, wow. Okay, A, I think you've mixed up your notes, because uh, none of that is me. B, I'm getting you a pantomime horse for, uh, for Christmas. Oh, no, I I... I'm, I'm loving this new sort of, you know, Amdram uh, James Dyer. Well, thank you. you can thank Geoffrey Chaucer for that I, one. I am thanking him. I think instead of the horse, I think we should get him I think we should get him Paul Bettany's coat in a knight's tale. That was one of the all time great movie coats. I am in character, sitting here, naked, as Paul Bettany was when we first encountered him. Yes, and you got my note about that, right? Because <laughs> I sent it to HR, but I did CC you. It's radio, Helen. It's absolutely fine. Uh, how's, how's Desperate Housewives treating you, Nick? It's all right. I've floundered slightly in season two. I, I very much uh, blitzed through season one. There was a lot of stuff, but I think they put everything in season one and they forgot to leave anything. They did comas, murders, everything. Uh. So there's nothing left, so it's got a bit boring. But um, I'm on Breaking Bad so again. Oh, you had, so you've left Wisteria Lane. I'm leaving Wisteria Lane for a while. Oh, I'm heading back to... Uh, the ABQ. Ah. Yeah, I just, I've just i been meaning to rewatch Breaking Bad for a while, and it's really good. Shock. Shock horror dismay. <laughs> it's made. really good. Ah, it'll never catch you. You heard it here first, folks. Breaking Bad, actually quite good, <laughs> says although, Nicholas Hamlin. Although Walter White in the flashbacks in season one does look exactly like Noel Edmonds, if you go back and rewatch that. <laughs> it's well, uncanny. Well done, you just ruined that. That's, Sorry about that. That's excellent. But next up, and you've heard already, next up is a woman who, like a wind from Gelderland, sweeps by, blown far from her homeland in search of glory and honour. She is the rock. She is the hard place. We walk in the garden of her turbulence. And she gave Molly's game three stars. It's Helen O'Hara! <laughs> and I do it again! <laughs> She's Monster. killed once. She'll kill again. You can't stop her. 
Um, how was the Emerald Isle? You've just returned. I have, yes. It was It was weirdly sunny, like to an extent that was discombobulating. I'm not used to spending an entire week in Ireland and not being rained on at all. Wow. I, I, don't, I didn't know quite what to do with myself and I suspect some kind of, you know, alternate reality or something. It was, it was gorgeous. It was absolutely lovely. So you were there and now Chris has gone, so it's a one-in-one-out policy. It's a one-in-one-out yeah, policy. Right. They, they don't like us on the same continent at the same time. London has been specially reinforced to support both our weights, but, uh, but elsewhere it's, it's dangerous. Mm, that makes sense. And, I, and news of the handle has spread far and wide, you were saying? Yes. So I was actually uh, tour guiding. You know, sometimes I moonlight as a tour guide and I take Americans around Europe. And uh, in this case, it was a choir of delightful people. Big up to Christchurch, Sugarland and Friends Touring Choir. Whoop. And uh, Was it a Sugarland Express? Uh, it, it sort of was, I guess, because they came in from Houston, Texas. And they came off the plane and literally one of them greeted me by saying, I have one thing to say to you, Helen. It's lovely to meet you. And where is the handle? <laughs> And he then, bless him, gave me a little... A little um, handle? Well, yes, it's, well, I think he was looking for a handle, but he, he got me a hammer, like a <laughs> Thor's hammer, and, and wrote me a little letter on it when they when they left. It was absolutely adorable. So thank you to Rocky for that. It was and, and extremely And Rocky is a podcast listener. He is a podcast listener. That's amazing. So we are big in Texas right now, and everything is bigger in Texas, so we must be really big in Texas. And it's given us an excuse to go, where's the handle? Which we've not done in ages. Where is it? Where is it? Help me find we it. We did actually pass, of course, the place where Handel first played the Messiah. So. Well, perhaps that's what he meant, and he Probably. was actually asking a tour guiding question. Yes, or a choir question. Perhaps. Perhaps not. As Nick pointed out, Earlier, I have begun a heroic Middle-Earth rewatch. Right. Uh, I've, I'm working my way through the extended editions. I have watched The Fellowship. I'm halfway through The Two Towers. Okay. Um, and I'm doing it in lieu of football matches. So whenever the football <laughs> is on, I boot up The Lord of the Rings. I enormously sympathise with that. That is a great idea. Yeah. I went for a walk on Monday night in Regent's Park, and I could tell when anything exciting happened in the game because from the middle of the park, you could hear the whole of London go nuts. I just, I just don't care. But yeah. the thing is, this has had a weird bleed-on effect. So now whenever I see someone watching the football, I find myself going, you shall not pass, you know, at the, at, mm. at the, at the players. Yeah. Because they, they pass. Because they, they pass. pass. Yeah. yeah. It's a good yeah. one. It's a good it's one. Good. But I'm, I'm, I'm slightly disappointed that you are stretching this out. You're not just doing one mega middle-earth binge. What, a 12-hour spectacular. As somebody just... who has watched <laughs> the extended editions back-to-back on several occasions, it's, you know, it's, you're wissing out a bit. I know. It's, it's, I have very little time in the evening, you know, what with work and stuff so yeah. i'm just I'm, and also i want to savor it i don't want to i don't it'll be gone it'll be finished i, I accidentally to... uh, made some friends ill during a lord of the rings marathon um <laughs> because the night before the marathon i'd been out at a Shaun of the dead open air screening and i took the, my shopping along <laughs> thinking that'd be all right i was making a lasagna and the bacon went a bit dodgy no. for the lasagna so the next day by the time uh the fellowship kind of got to the dead marshes <laughs> people were starting to look peaky and by the time uh, frodo sam and Gollum got to mordor it was game over for, wow. for several members of the company. Okay. So experiential cinema, we're saying, so as the ring corrupted Frodo, so too your lasagna corrupted So the toilet visits increased in frequency. <laughs> it was, certain people have still not forgiven me for that. Wow. Yeah, wow. Never go for a movie marathon at Nick's house, I think. Is yeah, the, uh, I think we've learned something. But anyway, on with the show. We begin, as is our custom, with a question. Uh, this time from at Ian in Shanghai, who asks, given that it's the World Cup, is it? I hadn't noticed. Uh, best film, what are the best film scenes taking place at a sporting event? Naked gun, exclamation mark, sudden death, exclamation great, mark. Great question, great use of exclamation marks. Yeah. I'm assuming he means non-sport films that have sporting events as opposed to 
uh, like sports films, because otherwise, you know, we're going to be reeling off Rocky films and Fields of Dreams and Rutger Hauer epic Salute of the Jugger, which, of course, would be first and foremost would it on all of our minds. What mm. is Salute of the Jugger? You've never seen Salute of the Jugger, a.k.a. The Blood of Heroes, as it was initially released. It's uh, a straight-to-video <laughs> Rutger Hauer film about a post-apocalyptic wasteland. This is a Jugger. A jug- jugger well, someone who jug- puts things into jugs. I'm He's glad you asked me. I'm glad you asked. There are a number of roles. So, so this is like me explaining football. It's like football being explained to me. There are a number of roles in, in a game of this sport. I don't sure. know what the sport is called. Um, but you have the juggers and they have big sticks and their main goal is to beat the shit out of everyone so and keep them away from the quick. Now, the quick is a little bit like the seeker in Quidditch. I was about to say, yes. these sound like the beaters yes, in Quidditch. Yes, it's not dissimilar. So we're saying J.K. Rowling basically ripped off Rutger Hauer. But uh, there's also a guy with like a, like a... It's all stuff like assembled from a scrapyard. And he's like, he swings like a whip. And so you've got a guy with a whip, you've got juggers who have big sticks and you have the quick. And the quick has to get a little ferret skull and take it what? and stick it on a stake at the end of the other person's, you know, goal, whatever you want to call it. Right. And so the juggers beat people up, the quick runs around the place, and the whip guy whips people, and it's quite violent. It sounds a bit like the, the goat uh, sequence in, in Rambo 3. Do you remember that? Where <laughs> yeah. It's not dissimilar. They have it's to not use a dissimilar. goat's carcass instead of a, a ball, because that's the thing. Sure. It's and, not really round. And, um, yeah, it's roundish. Mm. Um, yeah. That's a weird. That's a weird thing. But this is a great question. I like this very much. There are some good action films set at sporting events. Sudden Death is amazing. Yes, uh, for two reasons. One, the scene in which Van Damme t- takes on the penguin mascot, the mascot. in um, yeah. in hand to hand combat, <laughs> and also for Powers Booth as a kind of um, Hans Grubian uh, mega villain. Yeah, kidnaps the vice president. This is ice hockey, isn't it? That's the sport. Ice hockey. Yeah. And um, he, at one point, Powers Booth, because I got to interview him about this before he passed, and. Um, he talked about his one-liner where he tells a young girl that he's going to fill her mouth with spiders, which is one of the, it's one of the all-time like horrible but great villain one-liners. It's um, not a lovely threat. It's a, it's a very strange threat. It is. It's, it's, that's quite funny though. Like it's something that would scare a kid, but it's just like a stupid threat. It's I creative. Like that. Yeah. I like to think that he's fought it through and he's brought along spiders in little jars. And I like to not think that no. ever. Oh well, I enjoy never. No, thinking you're right. That. I, I choose to also not think that. I've changed my mind. <laughs> Has anyone else noticed? So it, it was Flying Ant Day yesterday. You noticed that, right? You yes, know, they were talking about it at Wimbledon. Yeah, yeah, the apocalypse had come. But Flying Ant Day this year seems to have, at least in my house, coincided with Spider Hatching Day. Have you noticed? It's like, all, all, Ew, like, no. sp- like there are baby spiders all over my house. Like they've all hatched at the same time and they're trying to kill me. Do you live in Shelob's lair, James? I know that you've been watching Lord oh, of the Rings, yes, but you may right. have Sorry. gone too far. It's the distinction between fancy and reality. There I'm having go. problems again. <laughs> I'm having problems. Let's move on. Um, the sporting films uh, or sports events at non-sporting films, I'm having a, a, a thoughts. Um, Whip It as a sporting film, I think, is massively underrated. And I think yeah, that's really good. About. And I also think like, if you ever get to see if you go to see a sport live, even if you're not a sport person, that roller derby is a great one to see. It's really fast-paced live. It's brilliant. Um, this is assuming, like, juggers aren't available. Of course. Yeah. Uh, or Quidditch, obviously. Yeah. Uh, actually, the curse during the Quidditch match one is pretty cool. Is that number three? I think that was really sure. cool. Where, um, yeah, Harry's being cursed while he's flying. It's that, I like that. And... Um, non-sporting films otherwise. The one that's also also been coming to mind this week is Flushed Away, which is where the, the big sort of flood that is threatening at the end of the film is because it's going to be half-time 
in the World Cup oh. with England playing. Really? I've yeah. never seen, I do not remember that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, mm. unless I'm mixing up with I've something else. I've never seen Flushed Away. It sounds plausible, but I don't like toilet humour. So. Um, do people flush things at half-time then? Is that the, yeah, everyone, so the idea is everyone, everyone's been drinking beer and then they all go to the loo at half-time, I guess. That's, that's clever. Uh, Logan Lucky was a recent one. That's kind of a yeah, heist movie that's that's a very good set yeah. during a speedway. Uh, there is a movie called Black Sunday, which I highly recommend. It's a John Frankenheimer movie from the 70s set during the Super Bowl. And there's a homicidal blimp uh, f- pilot, blimp f- driver pilot. Anyway, the guy's got a blimp and he <laughs> wants to use it to kill everyone. Seems fair. Oh, The Dark Knight Rises is not a film that I like, but... It is a film with a brilliant scene during that football match. But just that shot of the guy running and the, the stadium is basically yes, collapsing that behind him. That's, that's, that cool. that's an end zone run. Um, speaking of which... Hang on, sorry, you've said something about sport. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I researched that a bit. Um, Last Boy Scout has two particularly good ones. Uh, Damon Wayans rides a horse onto the... Pitch, field, whatever they play American Friday football Friday night's on. a good night for football. Uh, Friday night's a great night for football. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, also, uh, Billy Cole, the, uh, I believe he's, well, he's one of the players at the very beginning of the film, mm. who shoots himself in the face. Um, that's not a good sporting Well, he also moments. shoots one of the other players in the face who's about to tackle him and then shoots himself. It's, that's also bad. It's pretty dark. I'll it's a dark, you. it's a great opening. Uh, but it's a great film. opening. Yeah. I love that film. It's Funnily good. enough, so I was talking to Shane Black recently about that exact film. Which he got, he got, I think it was 1.25 million or one and a half million for his script for that, which was the highest paid for a spec script at that point. Mm. And uh, completely, like, he, he was saying that never in his entire career has he had more rewrites and grief and aggravation on the script as with that one. Like, it was constantly rewritten again and again and again. Uh, I think Willis had lots of notes, the studio had notes. I think it was, came soon after Die Hard and they wanted to kind of replicate that feel. So he, I mean, he has not, I don't think he thinks it's a good film. Because of everything that was... But frankly, he's wrong. It's great. It's all about the gun inside the hand puppet. (laughs) What a scene. (laughs) I love that film. Uh, I've got a couple more. um, Snake Eyes. Not the best film, but I love the The use of the boxing match. That is good. The 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 sort of the warm-up, the run-up to it, uh, Mm. with Nick Cage walking around in the long shot. And uh, it hasn't come out yet. We haven't seen it yet. But I feel confident in saying that Final Score, starring Pierce Brosnan, <laughs> yes. as a man who has to take on terrorists at Upton Park. I'm assuming this is the plot. <laughs> I haven't read the synopsis fully. He might be one of the terrorists. <laughs> He's involved. Anyway, it is it's basically Die Hard at Upton Park. Is, wow. is, isn't it one with Dave Bautista as well? Is that's, it the same one? Yeah, that's the one. That's that the one. is it. Yeah. Well, that is obvi- I'm obviously very excited. I'm most- thinking it's called Final Whistle, but it's called Final Score. Um, well, yeah. The most explosive uh, Super Bowl, of course, being the one in Sum of All Fears, where they literally set oh, off a yeah. nuke in a vending machine. Yeah, that's a bummer. Yeah, that's. It's, I mean, it's no Friday Night Lights, but uh, you know, what is? Exactly. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Can't Turns lose. out Friday Night is not a good night for football. <laughs> no, it isn't. It isn't. You know what? My, my best, my best uh, Last Boy Scout story is. I was on the set of Sons of Anarchy. Uh, that's a terrible story. <laughs> about the Last Boy Scout. No, it gets there, and Kim Coates, who's obviously in Sons of Anarchy, uh. is famous from that scene in the Last Boy Scout. And while uh, we did a roundtable, and while I was talking to him, he put his hand on my leg, and I turned to him and I went, "Touch me again, Okia." How did he and then that? I immediately explained it because, frankly, he's terrifying and I didn't want him to think I was serious and for him to hurt me. So I said, oh, so could, because in the last voice count, and Bruce Willis says that, and then he kills you. Wow. Yeah. You must have looked pretty cool. I did. I did. <laughs> I looked pretty cool. Um, anyone else? Any more? The town. The town has, I think, a Fenway Park, oh. doesn't it? Don't they rob Fenway Park mm. in the town? 
Can't remember. Sounds plausible. Agro Bob. Rob's uh, Fenway, Park. Fenway Park. Fenway Park is in Boston, so it does yeah. ring true to that degree. Um, yeah. Beyond that, I've got nothing. Although a slightly robbing Fenway Park seems very wrong. See, I will say Big Lebowski, because you might not think it's a sporting event, but I think you find it was a league game. It was a very a crucial was, league yeah. game. It was a league game. Yeah, Market zero. Right. Yeah. Market zero. Market zero, dude. Is that answered? Big Lebowski is the answer to everything. So the answer is Big Lebowski. Okay, the answer is the Big Lebowski. Thank you very much for that question. As ever, if you want a chance to hear us attempt to answer your question, then do tweet us uh, using the hashtag Empire Podcast or email us at podcast at empiremagazine.com. We are on Facebook, but we don't ever check it. So that's kind of irrelevant. (laughs) Sometimes Um, we do. I mean, we do. We check it. We just don't check it for podcast questions. So if your your goal is, is to be on the podcast, then Facebook is not your destination. Um, time for our first guest. Uh, she is Lady Marjorie of the House Tyrell. Last seen, spoiler, spoilering, a spoiler, spoilerific, spoiler, spoiler in Game of Thrones. Oh, I love that bit. I had actually written that out, but then decided not to ruin it for the people who hadn't seen it. Storm um, of spoilers. Yeah, oh, very good. Uh, she is, of course, Natalie Dormer, the star of In Darkness, uh, which is Anthony Byrne's new film in which she plays a blind musician who hears a murder committed in the upstairs apartment and gets sucked into a murder mystery. So I'm saying it's a bit like Rear Window, except it's upstairs and there isn't a window, so it's kind of like top floorboard or... Top floorboard. Um, <laughs> it's anyway. amazing to me that yeah. that didn't, isn't the, the title they went with. Or that I don't work in marketing. Mm. Um, yeah, so John Nugent had an audience with Natalie and we've had no complaints from her publicist, so I'm assuming it went okay. Although in the new issue of Empire, there's a picture of John with Natalie uh, and it looks a lot like they're dating. So, so let's listen now to this interview and see if you can, if you can hear the sparks which quite clearly flew. Clearly. So I'm delighted to welcome to the Empire Podcast, Natalie Dormer. How are you? Hello. Good, I'm having a good day. Good, good. We're here to talk about In Darkness. Am I right in thinking you are the star, the writer, co-writer? Co-writer. And, and producer? One of the producers, yes. Uh, did you make the tea as well? <laughs> I sent out for coffee, definitely, yeah. with my credit card, yes. Held the boom mic. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right. Uh, independent filmmaking, it was very much a family effort and right. I kind of got a kick out of that, you know, it's fun. And it's a bit of a passion project for you as well? Oh, God, 100%. Anthony Byrne, the director, and I started writing it in 2009. And on and off, you know, it took us sort of various, you know, drafting, redrafting, finding great uh, producing partners and great cast. It was about seven years before we got on set. So all the cast and crew that we had on In Darkness, I will forever be incredibly grateful for their time and their talent. Yeah. And how does it feel to finally reach this point where you... Putting it out into the this world. It's surreal, to be honest, my yeah. love. It's kind of here I am actually <laughs> finally promoting it. Yeah. When you've been visualising something for so many years. Yeah. Um, it's always kind of a bit of a pinch me moment when you yeah. you finally get there, you know? Yeah. Uh, so let's let's start with the acting side of things. You you play a blind person who witnesses a murder. There's something quite Hitchcockian about that. A hundred percent. Anto and I wanted to make a film that's the kind of movie that we enjoyed watching, you know, right. in Hitchcock and film noir. It's kind of a love letter to those movies but we wanted to set it in you know contemporary make it as like an entertaining slick thriller that is set in our hometown that feels like the london that we know yeah you know yeah and um so i play uh uh yeah there's a nod to sort of you know rear window or or, right. or or vertigo or people who know the film the audrey hepburn movie wait until dark it's about a blind so i play sophia a blind musician who hears a murder take place above her in her apartment 
um, here in central London. And uh, yeah, it all kind of unfolds from there, really. Yeah. And there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of twists and turns. Do you think this is a film that will surprise people as they watch it? Yeah, well, hopefully. You know, it's... Uh, we, we, you know, there's a very sophisticated audience in this day and age mm. who are who are used to uh, predicting or uh, having fun with the guessing games of something like this. But that was part of the challenge, you know, really, mm. especially as a, a, a writer on it, was, um, you know, uh, trying to stay at least one step ahead and having a bit of fun with it, really. I mean, uh, I hope it's on an on a entertainment level something that people will just enjoy the ride. Yeah. Is it, um, as you say, you play a blind person. Is that a challenge as an actor? Did you... Uh, Hugely challenging. Prepare? You can't make eye contact with your co-stars, which <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> makes you feel guilty at first. Yeah. But it's it's more profound than that. It's sort of, I suppose, to do with the to do with the energy of connecting with someone that you're in a scene with. Mm. Um, I had a lot of help from the RNIB, the Royal National Institute of Blind People here in London, who are a fantastic organisation. And, um, you know, they really, like, you gave, uh, they gave me access to a lot of people who were partially sighted, blind, to talk to them, open up. I had my cane lessons. Oh, really? Um, what does a cane you know, lesson involve? Well, you know, basically what you would imagine, navigating yeah. yourself around, you know, your home, your street, your local area, and, and working, at, working out how people really do navigate their lives when they have a visual impairment. So, mm. massive shout out to the RNIB for supporting us. And, um, uh, yeah, over and above that, it's, uh, it required a whole different sort of, I suppose, type of acting, physical acting than I've ever done before. So it was an interesting challenge. Yeah. And another interesting challenge I imagine would be playing the piano. Did you, Mm. your character's a pianist. Did Mm. you have to learn the piano for that? I did indeed. I had to have me my piano lessons. How did that go? I'm not very good. (laughs) (laughs) Do you play the piano? I mean, I... Are you a musician? I tinkle. You tinkle? I've never actually learned properly how to play. Oh, right. Okay. But I can sort of, you know... You can, yeah, yeah, it's all about the reach, you know, it's all about... Have you got pianists? No, I have not got pianists for this. (laughs) We we tried to hold off using a double as much as possible, but, um, you know, I am proud of my little moments that made it to the screen, but um, there's always the backup, you know, there in the background. I am not a natural musician. Have you continued to play since since No, I haven't, I haven't, I'm, uh, which is bad, isn't it? I should have, actually, when I was in the middle of it, I was like, I think I'm going to do this. I think this is going to be my thing. Yeah. Typical actor, short attention span, move on to the next thing. <laughs> um, and then, as we said, you're, you you co-wrote this mm. with, with the director, Anthony Byrne, and this is your, your first screenwriting credits. Mm. How, how was that experience? It was great. It was a very steep learning curve, mm. um, especially the noting process, getting feedback, and yeah. which is it's perverse. You think that I'm so used to having that done with my acting, but it was sort of a shock to the system when it started happening, but... I sp- with writing, but I suppose that's because as an actor, you can sort of hide behind other people's words. Having your own analysed and pull apart was yeah. a bit, uh, you know, shocking to begin with. But I got into the groove and then I really did learn to understand the collaborative process only strengthens a script and a storyline. And then by the time the actors got involved and we had a table read, then I kind of knew where I was. I loved it when Ed Scrine would turn to me or Neil Maskell would turn to me on set and go, Nat, can I change this line to this? Right. And I'd be like, yes, of course. Oh my God, of course. You know, make it feel natural or switch it around a little bit, however you like. And 
that's actually informed me as an actor about being more bold now when I'm on set oh, and approaching the, the writer yeah. and going, can I shift this? And they're, they're often much more open to it than you would ever imagine they would be because everyone wants to sort of tell the emotional truth of a situation, right? So mm. um, that was, I think it's enhanced my capabilities as an actor, actually seeing so much stuff from the other side. Oh, wow. So did you write from an actor's perspective then? I mean, were you writing this for yourself as an acting role? I never... In, I, it was more a cathartic uh, sort of experience to um, just write a really, you know, kick-ass, complex, three-dimensional woman. But I never thought I would actually be able to play Sophia because it was kind of... When we started writing in Darkness, it was pre-Game of Thrones, Hunger Games mm-hmm. days. So I didn't actually think that I had... Uh, I sort of... Uh, reconciled myself to the idea that I didn't have the profile to be able to get an independent film financed if I played Sophia. So I was going to play Veronique, the Emily Ratajkowski role. And it was only, you know, everything for a reason, I guess, over the course of the number of years. And this little show I did called Game of Thrones (laughs) boosted my profile and this tiny little film franchise called The Hunger Games, which meant that um, actually I got to the stage where I wasn't going to have to hand over this file that contained all the clippings and notes I'd scribbled about Sophia to another actress. And Mm. I found that I was actually going to be able to be her. Elsa would have started the piano lessons in 2010. (laughs) Yeah, if you'd have known. (laughs) If I'd have known. Yeah, you could have had some some warning. Uh, What is it like, as you say, it's such a collaborative process, but Mm. what is it like writing as a pair? Because, I mean, how, how did you... Were you like... How to what were the logistics Was there someone just standing over your shoulder? Like, did you take no, it No, we turns? learned very quickly not to eyeball each other across the table. <laughs> sure. Uh, and if you want the relationship to survive, then you definitely <laughs> don't do that. Um, no, uh, Anthony has been my other half for about 11 years and we started writing it nine years ago. Okay. So it's sort of been a big part of our lives together. And um, we just learned you know, to write different scenes in different rooms and then swap them back and forth. But I remember yeah. talking to David Benioff about it, who's one of the people who knows one of the co-creators of Game of Thrones. And he was like, oh my God, you idiots. You started off writing in the same room. You <laughs> never write in the same room. And I was like, yeah, I wish I'd got that memo earlier. But we learned, we learned, we learned reasonably quickly. Yeah. You mentioned Game of Thrones. I should probably say spoiler warning at this point because, you know, you are no longer in the show. Yeah. For- if you're not up to date with, yeah. I mean, for the two people who haven't caught up yet. And what, so what was it like, what was the experience like watching season seven? For well, you? for me, it's like perfect because it's kind of like the perfect sandwich. It's like, you know, a Marjorie Terrell sandwich because I, <laughs> I watched the first season purely as a fan, joined the show in second season, had this incredible five-year ride. And now I'm watching it like you again on the couch as like an avid fan. Yeah. So it's like I've got the best of both worlds, to be perfectly honest with you. And there's there are so many avid fans out there. And you've done a few, you know, comic cons mm-hmm. in your time. I mean, have you had any unusual or memorable encounters with fans? I just love it when they, you know, when they show up and they're they're dressed as either you or another character that you know very well and you look at the detail of the costume and mm. You realise that hour, the hundreds of hours that these mm. men and women put into the creations of these costumes and the detail is so accurate. It never fails to amaze me that, you know, they've got the thread colour right or <laughs> the metal work on the button just right. Or yeah. It's like they really study the costuming. And uh, that kind of just blows my mind, that level of um, like commitment and, uh, you know, devotion. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And uh, are you still in touch with your old castmates? Is there like a dead Game of Thrones Is character's WhatsApp? Is there like a WhatsApp? WhatsApp? Can yeah. you imagine? Can you imagine how big that group would be? Um, <laughs> everyone's very busy. Um, they've been obviously they've obviously been shooting the new season, the last season. Mm. So, I mean, we bump into each other. You know, you find each other on the circuit. But um, yeah, it's. Uh, I think. I think when we do bump into each other, it's like no time have passed at all. I think yeah. once Game of Thrones, always Game of Thrones. You kind of wear the tattoo, you know, right. a little bit somewhere. Um, it's and it's just so exciting watching in the in-between times where everyone else goes off and what they do, yeah. you know? Yeah. Especially the younger actors, seeing them grow up and seeing the path that they're forging for themselves yeah. is really very exciting. And I'm assuming that's a metaphorical tattoo, right? Yes, metaphorical tattoo. Okay. You yeah. wouldn't consider, because you know Avengers and Lord of the Rings, I heard the cast got a, I all heard got a tattoo. That. Yeah, no, I mean, ta- I was a metaphorical tattooed across the heart. <laughs> Scarred <laughs> for life. Sure. <laughs> What is next for you on the horizon? What are you working on? What's That's a very interesting question. It? It's uh, I'm just taking my time at the moment. I've got a couple of projects in development. Uh, it was announced a couple of weeks that I'm um, I'm producing um, and developing a Vivian Lee project. Oh, wow. um, and I've got a other couple of things bubbling as well. So um, I'm excited about a few things just as a gun for hire actor, but also having gotten wet- wetted my appetite for having a little bit more control of my destiny. Mm. So I'm kind of balancing the two at the moment, babe, and uh, we'll okay. see what goes first, basically. Do you think you'll write again? you think you've got a, another I'd script? To. I'd love works? to. I'd love to write again. I'd love to either find another co-writer or uh, try it on my own. We'll see. But I'd love to be able to carve out some time to explore that, you sure. know? Yeah, and see if all those arguments with Anthony when I said no, I'm I'm right, I'm better actually. <laughs> no, I'm like teasing. Um, but yeah, no, uh, he's 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 got uh, a couple of things that he's developing and writing himself. So we could, there's a kind of a fork in the road, and we'll see what happens. Cool. Well, we look forward to all of that. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Natalie. Thank you. Thank you. And that was Natalie Dormer and John. Natalie Natalie Nugent, sorry. sorry, it's a little bit confusing there. Uh, 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 John Dormer. Actually. John Dormer, yes, that's right, that's right. Fuck the patriarchy. That's right. Um, is it time for news? It's time for news. I think so. Uh, what's been going on the big old world of film? Oh, should we start I with a big one again? It's more Sonic the Hedgehog news. <laughs> yes. We started with it. Yeah, last time I was on, um, the news came in, huge news, that James Marsden uh, was going to be... Um, voicing someone or playing someone in the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. We're not clear, are we? Because no one seems to know whether this is a CGI film or, God forbid, a live-action Sonic the Hedgehog. I, In my mind, it's both. <laughs> it's what? <laughs> Who frames Sonic the Hedgehog? I think they're using every medium at their disposal. I think it's going to be, you know, claymation, be animation, live-action. It's going to be amazing. Um, so huge news uh, has rocked the Sonic mm-hmm. sphere this yeah. week. Jim Carrey yeah. has confirmed that he will be playing... Dr. Robotnik. Eggman himself. A.K.A. Eggman. Can you explain this Eggman thing? Is he do- not Dr. Robotnik? Yes, his name, I can't remember his first name, but his, 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 it's his it's first name, Robotnik. The doctor is honorary, uh, and his nickname is Eggman, because he looks like you an You mean he, he didn't go to evil medical school? <laughs> and yeah, I don't believe he did. I think it's a bit like Dr. Seuss. I don't think he's a real doctor. He's not a medical practitioner. No. Dr. Seuss went to my college. But not a, didn't, didn't, didn't get a fucking doctorate, though, did he? I don't know, I haven't checked. No. So I, I I don't know what else there is to add to that, but that's, um, that's... We don't know anything, do we? We know nothing about this film. Well, this I mean, is a scintillating story. We don't know if, if Tails is in it. We don't know if Knuckles is in it. Who we do you know? want to voice Tails now that now oh. that Jim Carrey's... What's, what's the rest of your dream cast? 
Uh, I think Knuckles should be done by Eddie Murphy. Okay. And Tails should be done by James L. Jones. Knuckles is the echidna. Knuckles is the echidna. I learned this last time you were on the podcast. Yes. So. And Tails is a fox with two tails. Hence the name Tails, plural. I knew that. I feel like they could have tried harder. Yeah. Anyway, should we move on? Yes. Okay. So, Sonic. But I know there is, of course, other news. And it is... Do we have some... If it's a shame we don't have, uh, like, a PRS licence where we can play music. Or I would be queuing up the Kenny Loggins for this particular... <laughs> Uh, As we ride into the danger zone. Um, Yeah, so there's been some Top Gun 2 news. Tell us about it, Helen. Yes, so they are casting Goose's son, a gosling, if you will. But (laughs) it's not the gosling. It is going to be Miles Teller, who won the role over Nicholas Holt and Glenn Powell, who are also in the final three. Mm. I kind of have to say I'm a bit disappointed about this. With all respect to Miles Teller's acting ability, which is considerable. um, But the idea is that uh, he's the, you know, he's coming to Top Gun, I think, and probably bringing a father complex with him because, you know, some <laughs> things like seem set in this franchise. And I think, first of all, I think that's a really bad idea for the film because mm-hmm. Goose is a precious angel, right? And I don't believe his son would be the kind of character that Miles Teller often plays. <laughs> a bit surly. What, what, are you, what are you saying, Helen? A bit surly, a bit... Uh, smug sometimes, some of his characters, mm. and, and and not immediately um, someone you warm to immediately. Are you saying Miles Teller is a professional bellend? <laughs> no. Like, he can, like again, he can be great. Like, he was really well used in Whiplash. I just I just don't see him as Precious Angel Goose's son. What, right? if, what if this is going to end up being a sort of Whiplash-esque thing where you've got James Tolkien's stinger, <laughs> oh, the boldest and angriest man in cinema history, just screaming at Miles Teller for two hours, uh, showing him how to use the radar screen or something. I'm on board for that. So am I. I, um, I, think, I, think, I think it's going to be like he's coming with a big father complex and blaming it's Goose. Chip on his shoulder. It's blaming Goose for his dad's death. And Maverick, like, Maverick, but, Maverick. Oh, sorry. Blaming Maverick for yes. his dad's death, but also that that's a bad idea because that that suggests to me that his mum didn't teach him what was what because uh, she knew Maverick and wasn't Meg responsible. Ryan would have taught. And Maver- Meg yes. Ryan would have taught him what was yes. what. And so I just feel like this whole thing is misconceived, yeah. and also that they fundamentally should have cast Glenn Powell, who would have been much better. But anyway, that's an. That's I did. I did predict it would be Miles Teller on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. I'm just saying, oh. I, I, it was one out of three. I you guess were, there was you a completely teller, random. Teller. Pro- uh, yes. Uh, did you see Glenn Powell's tweet following this? Uh, no. News? What did he say? I don't know whether he found out for the first time from Twitter or what, but he tweeted just after the news broke. Um, that's it. I'm taking down all the Top Gun posters from my bedroom wall. Aww. And then he went, hang on, I'll just leave these two up. Aww. So he took it well, but there was a lot of people wanting it to be Glenn Powell. He took it well. Do you know why? Because he's like Goose. Yeah. He's a precious angel like Goose. He's not leaving his wingman. No. Now, if Miles Teller were Maverick's son, that would make perfect sense to me. Mm. Or Iceman's. Or Iceman's. Or Stinger's. Mm. Yeah, Merlin's even. I don't care. Any of them. Any of them. Just not precious angel Goose. Who is a precious angel, even oh. before he dies. Merlin, of course, being Tim Robbins. I know that. Yeah. Okay, so good stuff. We've yeah. established that we don't like Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> well, no, um, it's not that we don't like it. And listen... He's a, he's a very capable actor. He is a very, very capable actor, and I'm sure it will be good in the end. And, you know, I obviously have my issues with father complexes, and you might yeah. say I have a complex about father complexes, but I realise that that's kind of a part of this whole thing, and it probably is something they're going to carry Helen, forward. Helen, if part of his mission uh, requires him to do a drum solo in the cockpit, you're going to be regretting <laughs> this. Miles Teller has got the experience for that. Wow. That is true. You know, but is, is, he, is he dragging? I, I don't know. Does he have the volleyball board for the inevitable volleyball scene? <laughs> oh, God. Who knows? Or dares to dream? 
I hope there are many volleyball scenes in this. I hope, I hope every other scene is a volleyball scene. Maybe it will be Maverick supporting Goose's son through his career as a professional beach volleyball player. That's not the film anyone wants. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I think um, there's an audience for it. Uh, uh, okay, well... <laughs> Different news uh, elsewhere on the internet. <laughs> the Many Saints of Newark yes, uh, has right. a director. Now, this is yeah. the Sopranos prequel. Yeah. And they have cast, uh, sorry, they have not cast, but they have hired a Sopranos veteran in Alan Taylor. They have. Who uh, knocked it out of the park in his many Sopranos episodes and episodes of Game of Thrones and so on, and did not knock it out of the park in uh, <laughs> Thor 2, The Dark World. <laughs> you, your hatred of Thor, The Dark World is shocking that's to me. That's not how you get to Greenwich. <laughs> yes. Hopefully that, none, of the, none of the Sopranos are going to go to Greenwich in this film, I hope. Um, so this is set in the 60s during the Newark riots. Um, which were basically riots between um, black people and Italian Americans mm-hmm. and a uh, very turbulent bit of American history. And uh, the rumour is that it's going to be Livia, he's obviously Tony's mum, yep. Uncle Junior, maybe Tony's dad, and we're going to see like the older generation doing their thing. Um, Will we see little Tony? Uh, it depends on the rating of the film. <laughs> um, are you excited about your your Sopranos fan? I do. I I I I love the Sopranos. Except I stand by the fact that the final season has more Johnny cakes than any TV show should sensibly have. It got cakey. It got. I mean, there were just there was an entire plot line that seemed to never end, where the guy in witness protection made pancakes in a shop, <laughs> and I was just like, "You've lost me." Like I was with you through the hits and the therapy and the abuse, but I'm not down with the pancakes. You're, you're bailing out with the cakes. Yeah. Um, but Alan Taylor is very safe pair of hands for this. I think. Yeah. He did, he did some of the best episodes. Um, he did. He did the episode uh, Kennedy and Heidi, which is obviously the one where Tony goes to Vegas, takes peyote. That's a kind of a classic. Yeah, that's one. a mental episode. My mm. favourite's College, but that's most, that's most people's, isn't it? That's quite an early one, yeah, isn't it? Where he goes to that's season one. That's right. Um, are you a Sopranos fan? No. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I, it's not that I'm, I have nothing against it. I just, I, I never got around to watching it. I still intend to. Please don't shout oh, at me. Oh, please don't shout at me. Johnny Cakes will, will But also, like, off. it just seems like one of those shows where, like, men all go nuts about it and I'm, I'm a little bit suspecting that I'll be a little bit bored. But I may not be. I may be as fascinated as everybody else is. Well, I think I may, we have some know. homework for next week's podcast, don't we, Alan? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've let you all down. Yes, you have. Uh, what else has happened? Uh, uh, Luke Evans is joining Roland Emmerich's Midway, uh, joining Woody Harrelson and Mandy Moore. Uh, I mean, I don't know why he didn't start at the beginning of the film, but, uh, you know. Oh, dear. (laughs) Midway, of course, refers to... The Battle of Midway. There we go, which took place during... The, The war. That was brilliant. The big war. The, the big, big war. war. The big one war with the, the wars. One of the big wars, that's yeah, right. It was yeah. all about the war. This was the war in the Pacific Theatre in Second World War. Uh, and it was an important battle it which was. happened in many ways midway through the war. Hence the reason <laughs> it's called the Battle of Midway. That is incorrect. Some of that was true. Some of the, some of the early parts were true and then he mm. went off the rails spectacularly. Mm-hmm. Right. But um, but yes, I'm, I'm, you know me, I'm a bit of a Roland Emmerich apologist apart from Anonymous which can just die um, but the, the rest I, I quite enjoy so I'm looking forward to it. Did the Battle of Midway happen in 1942? I don't know did it? I don't know there's an arcade game called 1942 in which you control a plane in a big battle over the sea which I assume is the Battle of Midway hence my logic. Is this like where I learn like random bits of history and physics and stuff from sci-fi novels and you learn random bits of history and, <laughs> from Trump, and physics and from stuff video from games. video games? Um, confusingly the sequel to 1942 is called 1943 so I don't maybe that's just they're flying around the year after 
uh, like commemorate. I don't know. Why so, is that confusing to you? Well, because the battle presumably didn't last for a year, unless it happened very late in the year and crossed New Year's Eve. Thanks, James. Mm. So yeah, yeah it's, it's, it could be good um, if he's kind of back to his. Is it, I guess sort of action movie. Yeah. If, he, yeah. if he puts Randy Quaid in a plane, I'll yeah. be happy. That's right. <laughs> and, and flies it up an alien mothership. That always works well. Yes. Uh, Charles' play, very quickly, um, is kind of having a bit of a moment. Uh, fucking Chucky. Fucking Chucky's back. Uh, he's back twice. Uh, he, they're two competing Charles' play projects. Have you heard this? So there's I a, hadn't. No. There's a TV series uh, which is coming out. It's uh, Don Mancini, the creator of Charles' play, and yep. Brad Dourif, the voice of Chucky. Grima Wormtongue. Uh, so those are like that. And then so that was announced. And then a few days ago, uh, a movie was announced with none of those people involved. Right. But from the producers of It. Okay. Hmm. So right. what do you think of that? I am entirely indifferent. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I've seen the first three Child's Play films, and I think after that I lost the will to live, so... Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not averse to it. It could be fun, I guess. I think you have to be pretty tongue-in-cheek with Chucky, right, to make it work. It's got more comedic, because it's, it's yeah, kind of like, so this one's genuinely on. quite frightening. Yeah. I read a rumour that the, the film is going to be... It's kind of changed the premise slightly, so it's not a serial killer inside a doll. It's going to be like Alexa or something that... that I mean, it just... Goes wrong. Stop. Just... No. Well, no, 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 no. just no. make a new film about Alexa exactly. going nuts? Exactly. And then Bride of Alexa, Son yeah. of Alexa. Seed of Alexa, Alexa yeah. versus... Yeah. I think it'd be... But there may be some slight issues there with the <laughs> with the naming. I'm just saying there might be a couple of legal things to work through if yeah. you're calling it say Alexa why or Siri so, why so serious that's good that's, that's yeah that's okay good. both of those I want you to talk to the legal department before you go any further <laughs> with good. the scripts um, I have John Krasinski news I have two oh. pieces of John Krasinski news and that's always a good thing I know it is isn't it first of all the news that he is involved in the development of the Quiet Place sequel yes I heard that but I don't understand how well um, he was a director of the first one if you remember James I do and, as well as a, a writer as well as he owned the beard that appeared in it indeed um, and uh, we're not going to get into the, the story of the film too much but I would I would imagine at least one of those roles is what he's <laughs> contemplating this time. Um, and um, he did talk, I asked him when we talked about the film, about, you know, do you have a sort of a notion of a sequel? And he's he's had it from well before shooting on the first one. Mm. He had it when he was writing the, the script of the first one. It was a notion, he wasn't counting his chickens, he wasn't assuming that it would do well, but he was like, if it does, here's what I'd do with it. And it is a film that I think stands alone, and it does have a sort of, you know, mm. it's, 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 it's one of those weird endings like the thing but it is an ending um so i think he he sort of built it carefully so the, they're basically they're developing it they have not set a release date um they have not set a release date on this one they actually did sort of you know plonk for a date on the first one and build towards that um but this time they have a bit more room to work with and uh, you know if he's got the the sort of concept already i think they're in probably good shape i have concerns you do? I like A Quiet Place is my film of the year so far. I loved it. But I don't see how it's a film that survives a sequel because, you know, part of it is the mystery and the revelation mm. of the space bastards and now we've seen what they look. I love that we've basically adopted that as the vernacular name for them. <laughs> um, you know, we know what they look like, we know what their weakness is. You know, I feel like they've now been defanged to a certain extent. And the only way, you, it's like with Pitch Black, the only way you can go is to go sort of off on a tangent. So unless we get, like, the chronicles of, of Krasinski, you know, <laughs> I don't see how this works. I, I, I trust that he has a notion. I, I feel like he had a really strong through line on that first one. I feel like if he, I, I, I trust that he has something going on for this okay. one as well. Yeah, I hope. I, I also have reservations, but I guess it's promising that he had the idea before 
um, this one became a big success. I watched it again for the third time the other night, and mm. yeah, it's one of those things. Once you reveal that so much of the the tension is from not knowing what these things are and what they look like and what they can do, now you know all that. So maybe they're going to bring new monsters in. Maybe that was the first wave. Well, of this monsters. is it. Yeah, it feels like this. This was. You know, logically speaking, these things seem like they're there to clear stuff out for something else. So maybe, maybe that's where they go. Mm. Uh, there was that was not the only piece of Krasinski news this week, though. There, he and Matt Damon have worked together in the past. Obviously, all these Bostonians like they just hang out in some kind of Boston club in Hollywood, I assume. Um, and uh, they they co-wrote Promised Land. Um, they produced Manchester by the Sea, of course, and they're now teaming on The King of Oil, which has Matt Damon in line to star as a billionaire commodities trader Mark Rich, who became a fugitive from justice. Why? Uh, so, well, he said he was born under the Holocaust. He, um, he, he endured that as a child, and he'd set out to live up to his surname, basically, and become extremely rich, which he did during the 60s and 70s, trading commodities. Unfortunately, he slightly evaded taxes in quite a significant manner, oh. uh, in resulting in 65 counts of tax evasion. He also had illegal dealings with the Cuban, Israeli and US governments. Oh. But he escaped to Switzerland. I mean, who among us, Helen, cannot say that? I mean, you know, we've all been there, haven't we? <laughs> Just, you know, calling up Cuba. Yeah, you know. Hola, Castro. Como esta? A few shady meetings here and there. <laughs> uh, that sounds good. Yeah, so um, that could be that could be very interesting. Mm. Um, so Krasinski is producing. Uh, they're not writing this time, but mm. um, yeah, interested to see good what they people, do together. Good people. Yeah. Elsewhere, Vanessa Kirby of the Crown fame is apparently going to play Jason Statham's sister in Hobbs and Shaw. Okay. okay. So there you go. Well, as the daughter of Helen Mirren, she kind of seems right, right? To be Jason Statham's sister, sure. I mean, Jason Statham is the daughter of Helen Mirren, seems like a bit more of a stretch, <laughs> but yeah, sure. <laughs> Hobson Shaw. I cannot wait for that film. Uh, it's going to be either brilliant or entirely... Ri- no, it's going to be entirely ridiculous. I can't decide whether it's going to be amazing or terrible. I'm leaning towards amazing. Fingers crossed. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I have. I have high hopes for that. They're one. bringing in a lot of uh, Statham's characters' family, though. It's making me wonder. No, but, you, but the, I, uh, the more of it, the better. Is it going to be set in England? Really? Do you I, think? I, I, I just think it's good. I think the camper it becomes, the more fun it will be. Who would you cast as the dad if there's uh, an estranged oh. dad? Oh. Michael Caine, Ray Winston, Ray Winston. <laughs> that would be amazing. That would be amazing. Ray Winston with with Helen Mirren, though. I don't know. I'm having a bit of a. It could happen, Helen. Uh, Anyone from the cast, Danny Dyer. Danny Dyer as Jason <laughs> Anyone Statham. from the cast. Yeah, yeah, but age him, age him slightly. <laughs> and they're taking uh, on Brexit. <laughs> Brexit yeah. is the villain. Putting his trotters up. <laughs> Good lord, this is terrible. Um, really, anyone from the cast of EastEnders, I would say, would be fine. Okay, when, but you've set your your target, your sights very low on that one, I'd yeah. say. I, I'm just, you know, I'm, you know me. I'm still mourning the fact that they went from like the greatest villain introduction, one of the greatest villain introductions ever, with of Jason Statham in Fast and Furious Seven to yeah. Jason Statham cuddly geezer. Your favorite thing in, in Fast and Furious Eight. It's like really. Um, so I'm, I'm still, I'm still a little bit nonplussed as a result of that. But at the same time, in The Rock, we trust, or I do, yes. even when he's, you know. His films are not always brilliant, but they're always, they're always amusing. They're not always brilliant, but they are always awesome. Yes, I would agree with that. Um, there is, of course, another bit of news. The, the hoo-ha news of the week, which is that Scarlett Johansson is going to play a trans man in Rub and Tug for, for Rupert Sanders, mm. um, which has caused all manner of shit on the internet. Well, there's um, a reaction to the... Well, see, you say that, like... 
Yes, there was a reaction, which was something along the lines of, you know, please refer comments to Jeffrey Tambor and who else was it? Leslie Huffman. Jared Leto. Yeah. And, but I, the article I read said her rep had said that. So was it actually a it quote said her, from It said her, her rep said it on her behalf, yeah. Okay, fine. So it was her quote. Yeah. It wasn't just her rep. I'm just like chatting away and no, just threw it out No, it was her quote. Well, that's problematic, isn't it? A little tone deaf, I would say. A little tone deaf. Yeah. That was, that was foolish. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. Yes. There's a big fire. Here's some gasoline. <laughs> yeah, and her, her previous collaboration with Rupert Sanders was also not without its controversy so yeah that's right do we know why the it's called whitewashing of ghost in the shell mm. do we know why it's called rub and tug i mean that's a yeah we do explain it <laughs> it's i believe one of the things someone can get at a massage parlor i've heard i don't know i've heard interestingly i'm going for a massage on saturday this is actually <laughs> a thing that's happening so what i'll do is while i'm there oh. i will ask not for it, but what it is. There you go, for you, and I'll find I'm out. I'm not sure that's a good idea, you think that's bad? I think you might get banned. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a friend, a friend bought me a massage for my birthday. Are you not going to have baby spiders does, all over yourself? Does your friend not know you at all? <laughs> well, I, it was a weird present, I'm not going to lie, which is why I've never... T- it was two years ago, and I've never done it, but I'm going to see those friends on the week I'm staying with them. And they went, oh, you can have your birthday present, so go for your massage. So I'm going to the massage parlour, which I assume doesn't come with inverted commas, uh, and to have my... Massages, <laughs> look, I mean, all, all kidding aside, massages are awesome and you should totally do that. It'll yeah. be awesome. But I just, I don't like to be touched. <laughs> <laughs> so this ma- could the, go badly. The ma- massage parlour is not also title uh, called Rub and Tug, is it? I mean, it might be. It might be. I don't really know what's going to happen. Frankly, I'm quite concerned. The less we say about it, the better. But okay. I will report back next week. Thank you. Well, that was movie news. <laughs> that, was, that was movie news. Um, shit. Right, let's move on to guest number two. But before, before we do that... Here are a few words from our sponsor, the wonderful people at Sky Cinema, uh, who have a new premiere every single day. Uh, so here's some more information brought to you in the dulcet Northern Irish tones of our very own Christopher Hewitt. Thanks, James, and thanks, Nick, and thanks, Helen. And may I say, what a smashing job you're all doing this week. I mean, I haven't heard it, and there's a small chance a pop booth is on fire right now, but it's a very small chance, and I'm sure you won't do it. Again. Uh, anyway, I'm in Northern Ireland at the moment. I've just had a lovely day out in Newcastle, not that one, playing crazy golf, having ice cream, and going down the arcade, just like in my misbegotten youth. But it would take more than that to stop me from picking up my iPhone and telling you about this week's sponsors, those lovely peeps at Sky Cinema, which gives you unlimited access to the best movies at home, whenever and wherever you want, in the best possible way. If, for example, you're in Northern Ireland. So here I am telling you about them. I've been a Sky Cinema subscriber for many years now and I love the choice they offer and they've got over a thousand quality movies on demand ready for me or you to enjoy whenever I or you want. And it's a cracking week this week. My first recommendation is New Disguise premiere lineup. It is the sumptuous love story that is Luca Guadagnino's Call Me By Your Name. Timothy Chalamet stars as Elio, a young man living a life in northern Italy with his academic parents. He has a young girlfriend, the world at his feet, and everything going swimmingly until Oliver enters his life. Oliver is played by Army Hammer and is a young, handsome academic assistant to his father. At first, the two young men don't see eye to eye and have something of an antagonistic relationship, but slowly a friendship starts to blossom and that in turn blooms into an intense love affair. Sumptuously shot against the backdrop of Crema, a small Italian town I must, simply must visit at some point in my life. This is 
quite simply, a peach of a film full of life, love and vitality. And it'll stay with you long after the end credits have rolled. Those end credits, by the way, feature the music of Sufjan Stevens. While regular listeners to the podcast will know, it probably should have been my Christmas number one in waiting. Call me by your name. All together now. No, I'll spare you it. Call me by your name. Call me, call me, call me by your name. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I had to do it. I had to do it. My last recommendation this week comes from a new channel dedicated to the world's biggest movie star, Thomas Cruise, Maypother the Fourth, otherwise known, of course, as Tom Cruise, in case you were in any doubt. The Tom Cruise Collection launches next Friday, the 13th of July, and runs until the end of the month, and is crammed with loads of classics from the Cruiser. Yes, that one's in there. And that one. And that one, too. And more than a few Mission Impossible movies ahead of the release of the sixth in the series, Fallout, later this month. But I'm going to go with Jerry Maguire, which may be Cruz's greatest performance. He plays, you guessed it, Jerry Maguire, a soulless sports agent who has an epiphany about how he and his colleagues treat people. That epiphany leads to Jerry being fired and embarking on an odyssey of reflection and self-discovery that is funny, moving, profound and packed with great one-liners from Cameron Crowe, the film's writer-director. Cruz is incredible in the part and ably backed by Rennie Selweger in a star-making turn and Cooper Gooding Jr. in the performance that showed him the money and showed him the Oscar to boot. Uh, I actually quote this film at least once a week, sometimes once a day. Clue, it's an up-a-dawn pride-swallowing siege that I will never fully tell you about. And now's your chance to start dropping J-bombs too. So that's it for this week. Join me next week for more Sky Cinema related fun. Back to you in the pub booth, Jimbo. Right, back to it. Time for our second guest. He is the star of this week's Swimming with Men, in which he plays a man suffering from a midlife crisis who recaptures his youth by taking over the podcast. And no, no, wait, that's that's someone else. You, that's, that's you. That's, that's something else entirely. Rather, he is a man suffering from a midlife crisis who uh, finds new meaning in his life as part of an all-male amateur synchronised swimming team. Uh, something we've all done at one point or another. He is uh, Rob Brennan, and we took, he took a break from going on holiday with Steve Coogan to speak to our very own Ian Freer. Rob Brydon, welcome to the Empire Podcast. It's lovely to be here, thank you. How are you, sir? I'm very well, very well. How are you? I'm good, thank you, very well. Good. Uh, we're here to talk about swimming with men. I guess in one sense, it's kind of like Fight Club in a municipal swimming pool. Is that, <laughs> is that fair? Yeah, there's, there's a line in it. They're, my character joins this male synchronised swimming team and, and when, they, when these guys were very close-knit have decided to let the newcomer in, there's a lovely scene in the changing rooms. We're all in our sort of half-dressed and wet. And suddenly I turn round, they're all there. And Jim Carter says, these are the rules of swim club. <laughs> and, uh, and I think I say, he says, rule one. And I've got to read them out loud. And I read out, uh, no one talks about swim club. That's the first that's, rule of swim club. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I suppose, yeah, there, there is a, a hint of fight club to it. Yeah, yeah I guess it's, and also it's about men having a crisis of confidence in their lives. I think that, that's at its heart. It, yeah. It's uh, middle-aged men, particularly, you know, in 2018, I think it's timely to look at men wondering what is expected of them, you know, because yeah. all, there's a lot of change going on. And this film touches on that. I mean, it's it's essentially it's an underdog film. It's it's a feel good film. It's a it's a, it's a lift you out of the dumps film. It's a comedy, 
but yeah. with a lot of heart and a lot of feeling. And you know, the thing that I've been so thrilled I've heard from a few people now is, well, I knew I would laugh, but I didn't think I would cry. They yeah. actually found it quite touching. Yeah, it's also it's a sports movie. And mm. synchronised swimming looks really hard. Oh, it's harder than that. It's uh, really hard. It's a strange thing because the initial... I think if you say to anybody, synchronised swimming, they'll probably go, <laughs> there's something about it. The standard that we do it at is, you know, it's nothing like what the women do at the Olympics. What they do defies physics. Yeah. What we do is exhausting. We had two weeks of training for it, three hours a day. That's exhausting. Then we started the shoot, doing all the film stuff first. So yeah. we were in a pool for 12 hours a day. Wow. Oh, you get so cold, you know, and you've got to try and keep it the fresh. skin prunes, isn't it? Well, that was interesting. People have said that. I don't remember. Maybe I was too cold to notice. The <laughs> thing I remember is the cold, not so much the wrinkly skin. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know, maybe I'm half fish. But it seems like the basic move, Danny Mays described it as a kind of a, a reverse Ronaldo step That's over. right. That's, that's called, really yeah. hard. That's the egg beater. If you yeah. think about uh, a synchronised swimmer being in the water, okay, so the body is vertical in the water. Normally, when you're just treading water, you, you, the water touches your shoulders, doesn't it? This move, the egg beater, it's what they use to rise up in the water. And it is essentially the legs go at right angles to the body so that the thighs so that they are parallel with the surface of the water and then the shins the lower legs and the feet do what Dan's character says is like a Ronaldo step over <laughs> like a Ronaldo step over in reverse if you just doing that is hard yeah to do it with enough power and speed to lift you up yeah. is virtually impossible but we had guys in in a, in the team with two proper guys and they do it incredibly and they rise out of the water yeah can i take you back to your kind of your early days in film yes do you, you were i believe it in first night yes. you, you were villager yes uh in martha meets you were bus driver yes and in lockstock you were traffic warden that's right yeah. was it exciting for you just to be in films was that a big thing for you um the f uh, uh the first one of them yes first night this was in 1994. Yeah. That's a huge American blockbuster. Massive. Yeah. Richard Gere. And Sean Sean Connery. Connery yeah. John Gielgud. I, at that time, could not get arrested, but I was friendly with Dougray Scott. Dougray and I had been at college together. And Dougray, bless him, got me a meeting with Mary Selway, who was... Yeah, she's casting director, isn't she? Yeah, I think she's passed away now, but she was one of the doyens of casting. You couldn't get to see her, you know. Anyway, Dougray got me in there. And uh, I remember sitting there <clears throat> across the desk from her, way out of my depth. And she had a casting breakdown, and looking at what parts were left, you know. And she said, hmm, now Marauder, perhaps? <laughs> and then she looked at my CV and she saw my height. And she went, hmm, no... Five foot seven. Hmm. So I didn't cut it to be a marauder. You'd have been a good marauder. Thank you. You would have been a good marauder. So then she said, so then there was the part of a villager, um, which was different in the script to how it ended up. So I had to audition down the lens as, an, as a villager. I mean, I said about actors having humiliations. This is one of them. 
my audition for Jerry Zucker, he would eventually see this somewhere and watch it and decide if this guy could play this tiny part, was to stand there and go, plead for my life. Go, no, please, please, I, I beg you, have mercy. As if I'd been hit by an arrow, you know. So I did that. Anyway, I got it. And you say, was it exciting? It was beyond exciting. Yeah. It was, you are going to go from never having been in the film to being in a film with Richard Gere and Sean, James Bond, Sean Connery. Yeah. And I was so excited. I had, a, I had a few lines. And then the day before I was to shoot, the agent phoned and said, they've cut your lines. Oh, no. Do you still want to do it? I said, yeah, because... Yeah. Still. So I managed to shout a line when the barn is on fire. I shout out, shut the doors, but it wasn't in the script. So... I thought, in my own silly way, well, maybe this is it now. I'm off. Here I go. Movies, but it wasn't to be. And then, and then I did, um, I did that Martha meet Frank Daniel Lawrence. I mean, essentially just an extra. The the one that did make a big difference was, um, and, and Empire Magazine has plays a part in this. Um, was uh, Lockstock. I went and met Guy Ritchie, the then unknown yeah. Guy Ritchie. Yeah, and and it was it was. The part was nerdy traffic warden. I was at a stage in my career where the word nerdy preceded, prefixed everything. So nerdy policeman, nerdy newsreader. And I was beginning to realise that unless you're very lucky, as an actor, you are going to be defined by how you are perceived. And that was how I was perceived for whatever reason, you know. So I got the part and I did it. And I remember bumping into Stephen Moyer in the street. He wasn't in it, but he was he was in another thing I'd done. And he said, oh, I've been hearing about that film you're in, you know. Apparently Tom Cruise had a screening of it at his house. It's getting a lot of word of mouth. And I thought, oh, right, OK. Because most films, sure. as you know, come yeah. and go, right? Yeah. Um, I thought, well, that's good. And then you started to hear this stuff about it because it became a phenomenon, you know. Anyway... Uh, at that time, I was mo I was earning my living as a voiceover artist, but wanting to act. Well, I remember I used to buy Empire. Well, I still do, of course. Of course, but, of course. But I used to get it every month, and I remember where I was reading it, and there was the review of Blockstock, and it mentioned my name. I mean, I'm a tiny part in it, and it said, blah, 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 and an extremely unlucky traffic warden, Robert Bryden. Wow. And I can't tell you what that meant to me. The thought that I would be in that magazine, because <laughs> I was trying so hard to get into that world. I went, oh, well. And, and I thought to myself, well, I must be able to use this. There must be value in getting mentioned in Empire. So what I did was I made a video of four different characters, and I called it an extremely unlucky traffic warden. I said, yeah, since exploding onto the scene, described by Empire magazine, is it? And one of them was Keith Barrett that was in yeah. that went on to be Marion and Jeff. So so that launched wow. my whole career. So Empire played a part in that. Amazing. Amazing. And final couple of things. Um Empire, people in the Empire office love to do impressions of movie stars. Yeah. We wondered if you could help us. Yeah. How do you do a good Roger Moore? I think with Roger you've got to Well you I think you have to think yeah. about the person, you know. You've got to you've got to you've got to imagine him. And you've got to, if you have a musicality to you, you'll, you'll be able to hear the sound in his voice and 
It's that rising thing that he does. Well, I mean, there are things that anybody could do. Anybody could do that. Yeah. And they could do that. And that's something, oh, yeah, oh, that's a Roger Moore thing, yes. But the actual tone of the voice uh, does that. uh, So, I don't know, you, you could teach someone to mimic a style... But I think to be able to make someone else think, oh, yeah, that's like that's, that, yeah. you need a musicality. Right. And who are there people that you'd love to impersonate that you just can't get down? No, because... Be, no, because uh, I only ever impersonate... I have a handful, you know. I'm not like... Someone like John Culshaw can yeah. do probably over a hundred. I mean, it's it's ludicrous. I have a little handful of the same people. There are people I... I so almost all of them I'd take a pleasure from. Yeah, but there are people you do that I don't think... Many, many people don't do Hoffman, and you do Dustin Hoffman. Oh, really? OK. Yeah. Well, well, Dustin Hoffman, I mean, that's <laughs> just... Oh. Everybody does De Niro and Pacino. Yeah, 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 do... yeah. I'm not very good at I'm not very good at De Niro. Pacino I do, but Hoffman. Well, I loved Dustin Hoffman, you know, I growing up. He was... And all the people I do are people I have affection for. Hugh Grant, I feel very fond of Hugh, both as a... As a, I don't know him that well, I know him a little bit, and I'm very fond of him whenever I see him, and certainly as an actor, I think he's terrific. So, yeah. so I have always sort of uh, <laughs> found it uh, quite quite uh, rewarding to uh, to, to, to do Hugh. You know, uh, gosh, um, Alan Bennett, I'm very yeah. great affection for. So always, if I'm doing someone, it's because I like them. Yeah, and there's a there's a terrific moment in the trip where you're discussing how to do Michael Michael Caine with. Yes. with yeah. With Coogan. It's yeah. just terrific, isn't it? Yeah, well, that that came from... That was a thing I was doing in my stand-up show where I talked about how his voice had changed over the years, as everyone does, but it's very noticeable with Michael because, of course, it's every, his whole life is there on film, pretty much. And talking about how the younger one was right up there like that, but over the years, the voice has gone a lot further back into the throat and it's got a lot slower. <laughs> and very, very emotional. And it's very true, you know, it's, it's just a true thing. Um, yeah. So many voices do, you know, I, I do Alan Bennett in my show and <clears throat> you think about Alan Bennett in the 1980s, it was up there. But as the time has gone by, he's sort of come down and he's lost some of the ability around his mouth and he's not quite so clear anymore. Yeah. Um, I find that sort of thing, I find it interesting, actually, voices and rhythms of voices yeah uh, i had a tennis teacher once and i said god i said you your voice rhythms are just like uh, gordon ramsay i bet you get that all the time he said no one's ever mentioned it <laughs> <laughs> so that's the skill you have that's the, the trick isn't it of learning how to pick up those kind of patterns and rhythms and nuances that yeah. as opposed to doing an impression of impression yeah but everybody sean connery is an impression of an impression isn't it yeah i suppose it is in a way yeah 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 i think you just have it i think you either have an ear for it yeah. Or you don't, you know. It's like being able to sing. You either can or you can't. Yeah. I think next up we'll see you in uh, Holmes and Watson. Yes. How was that? Oh, that was such good fun. That's Will Ferrell is Sherlock Holmes. John C. Riley huh. is Watson. I am Inspector Lestrade. Wow. Rebecca Hall is in it, Kelly MacDonald. Hugh Laurie, Rafe Fiennes. Yeah. It was... Um, talk about giving a film performance. I have a scene in that with Rafe Fiennes. Well, you know, you're looking at him. Now there's someone who knows what he's doing. And it was fascinating to watch him, right. watch how he related to the camera, watch his awareness of the camera, how close it was, what lens it was, all this stuff. 
And Will Ferrell, I think, surely is officially the nicest man in film. Really? Oh, lovely. And also, what's lovely about him is that he likes to be funny. He, he delights in, in making you laugh in between things. I, I like that too. So, to a degree, we were sort of kindred spirits in that sense. He likes to mess around. Not in a stupid, dumbass way of horseplay. I don't mean that. I mean in a sense of, in a humorous way, and being wry and what have you. Yeah, I thought he was just wonderful. Rob, that's fantastic stuff. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks so much. Thanks very much. Which brings us to this week's films. Shall we talk about the films? Let's talk about the films. The films that are out in cinemas this week. Uh, first of all, I guess we should talk about a film which I know for a fact none of us have seen. Uh, it is The First Purge, and I know this because there's only been one screening, and it was last night, and Ben went. And right. he has seen it. Ooh, what did he say? Well, see, a more professional person than myself would have asked him <laughs> and found that out. So this is what we're going to do. Do you want me to text, yeah, text no, him? No, 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 this is, this is fine, this is fine. I'm going to call Ben. I'm going to call Ben and we're going to find out what the first purge was like. You ready? Hello, Ben. You are live on the podcast. Please tell us what the first purge was like. The first purge is pretty decent. It is full of really good ideas. Uh, It doesn't always execute them perfectly. But it gives a good new spin on the franchise. Kind of suggests that uh, even though the purge is still as batshit as it always was, the real world has got crazier in the five years since the first film. So it's kind of weirdly more believable. Um, it deals with kind of the intersections of race and class and gender that kind of sprawl out into the confrontations that the purge is all about it deals in really kind of big broad splashy kind of uh yeah takes on those themes and Uh, lots of people get stabbed and killed lots of people get stabbed and killed good that side of it could be sharper but (laughs) it's uh full of some really strong ideas and there's some great performances uh joyvan wade who is a british actor who's appeared in some doctor who episodes he gets um a major role here uh, and he's really good and and what are you giving it how many how many stars it's three out of five three out of five stars for the purge thanks ben thanks james bye there you go that's the purge otherwise known as panorama's review of the year 2018 <laughs> Not far off. I was yeah. watching the uh, the original one last night, actually, and thinking this was way ahead of its time. I have never seen a Purge film. I am a Purgeon. <laughs> Why? Wow, I okay. Just, I just, never wow, seen it. Yeah. I'd like to. Like, I've experienced the Purge firsthand, because I've done the, the Horror Night stuff at Universal, where you get purged. Oh, my goodness, yeah. I've also done that. Yeah, it's that, terrifying. That was really intense yeah. but only because I kept forgetting this weird creepy guy on stilts was, was standing in the shadows so every time I walked past him which was many times he jumped out at me uh, I have seen one Purge film and I kind of feel like that's enough like I kind of feel like it's a good clever concept a good thing for a horror film but I kind of got it so I don't need to see it again you don't feel the need to binge the Purge I don't need to keep keep purging Okay. One purge is enough. <laughs> All right. So that was a purge. Uh, next up is Whitney, Kevin McDonald's documentary, which takes an in-depth look at the life and music of Whitney Houston. Uh, now, this made our top ten films of the year so far, uh, narrowly edging out, I believe, McQueen in the doc for the doc spot. Um, I'm, I'm assuming it's no bodyguard, but uh, from what I hear, well, it's what great. is? Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is the second Whitney Houston documentary in of in twelve months, um, but this is the one with the sort of the involvement of 
you know, the, those closest to her. The family basically were not involved in the other one. So there was a certain amount of trying to, you know, work around that kind of hole in the middle of the coverage, uh, which this one doesn't suffer. But on the other hand, the other one had the sense of being able to say whatever they wanted because they hadn't got yeah. those people involved. So this one, you know, maybe... So maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a companion piece situation that we're going for here. If you watch the two, then you can sort of have a it's more a complete difference. view of, yeah, of Whitney Houston. I really want to see it. I mean, I obviously I haven't, so I clearly don't want to see it that much, but I, I will see it. <laughs> I'm interested to see it. Um, wow. Yeah. The professionalism good. is strong in us It's today, pretty good. It? It's pretty good. I have, however, seen Mary Shelley, which is the next film on the list. Right. We gave Whitney Houston, we gave Whitney Houston, probably other stars, but we gave this particular film, Whitney, four stars. Uh, but Mary Shelley, we gave three stars to. Uh, and this is Elle Fanning starring as uh, Mary Shelley, the author, in the biographical story um, of her love affair with the, author, uh, with the poet uh, Percy Bysshe Shelley, played here by Douglas Booth, uh, which, as we all know, is the name of the actor and not the monster. <laughs> uh, Thank you. No, no, I have no. So this is... I, I tried... We gave this three. I... I, I might be less generous with it. I found this film very dull. Um, it's one of these things where she was a really unconventional person and her arc and how she became an author and her life was very unconventional. And yet it's the most conventional film ever in terms of sort of romantic beats. They also play havoc with the chronology, which, as a pedant, really bugged the shit out of me. Right. Um, and everyone seems quite caricatured. I mean, Booth plays a dreadful twat in it but then he's supposed to be and that's fine yeah um and there's a sort of very caricatured lord byron in it which feels very over the top and it's just it feels very but surely over the top is right for lord Byron. yes and i think it is but it's just there's a there's a level of just sort of like you you feel you come out of this with sort of fuck the patriarchy stamped on your face like it's just you feel so awful for this woman and the society in which she lived and how she was treated and i saw another film the same day which I'm not sure I could talk about because it's not out for ages and it's been probably embargoed. But suffice to say, it covered a lot of the same themes. Um, and I, I think I felt with this, I felt they should have taken uh, a perhaps less conventional approach to the structure and also not chosen such a slightly odd note to end it on. Okay. Uh, the performance is great. Elle Fanning is really, really good in it. Uh, Stephen Delaney is great as her father uh, with grammatical pedantry intact. Uh, he does his uh, his very best, Stannis Baratheon. Um, but yeah, it's 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 not it's not great, and it's very it's very heavy handed. I think it's heavy handed in the foreshadowing of what she's going to do. Like you know, there's lightning and electricity, and she goes to a show where there's a man reanimates a frog with electricity, and she has a dream about a monster, and then it's just a bit like, really, I wonder where this is going. Is there a mob with uh, pitchforks at that point? <laughs> yes, funnily enough. Uh, no, it's just, it just again, it feels a little bit like it, it could have done with some subtlety. Um, but okay. sure, if you are a massive Shelley fan, go nuts. Enjoy. Fill your boots. Yeah. Well, she did, you know, basically invent horror well, and sci-fi. Yeah. She is incredibly awesome, yeah. but I feel that her awesomeness doesn't maybe come across as well as it should. Fair so enough. there you go. Uh, three stars for Mary Shelley. Swimming with Men, next up. As mentioned, this is Oliver Parker's film about an all-male synchronised swimming team, which was pitched, kind of, as the new Full Monty. But yeah. I think we're saying it's it's... It's more of a half Monty, uh, more, more a bobber than a dangler. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I, th- I think so. It's a it's a great great cast, but um, no, I have to say I've been travelling. I haven't seen it. I apologise. I'm being massively unprofessional. But Lizzie B, who I trust implicitly of this parish, um, has has said that you know, despite that cast, despite the good idea of a male all synchronised all male synchronised swimming team, um, and the sort of timeliness of dealing with these kind of you know what do men do in the modern world kind of issues, um, it's just it's not strongly characterised enough, um, and the plodding is a bit predictable and plodding so um so yeah a bit of a missed opportunity which is a shame for all those great people involved so unless you have a hankering to see people in speedos and who doesn't and who doesn't then you know give it a miss or don't or two don't. stars for swimming with men I'm afraid so yes mm. next we have nick's film of the year it's terminal Oh, yes. 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 Terminal is out this week, a film that you loved, didn't you, Nick? You loved it. Interminable. Yeah. Um, it's it's not great, uh, <laughs> I'll be honest. It's, it's, a, it's a very strange film. Um, it's set in a sort of noirish city. Um, it's trying to be a bit like Sin City, I guess, and it's got these hard-boiled characters. It's only got about five characters seemingly living in this entire city. But it is basically lots and lots of very long scenes where people sit around and chat about philosophy and quote poetry to each other and it drags on and on and on. So it's a shame because the cast is really, really good. Margot Robbie is, I guess, the lead character. She's playing this uh, kind of femme fatale who is changing into different costumes and different personas as she's talking to the other people. Uh, It's got Simon Pegg in as a kind of English professor who is feeling suicidal Dexter Fletcher um, is playing a hitman alongside Max Irons, um, and the two of them are bickering the entire time. And then you've got Mike, Mike Myers, who is wearing a lot of prosthetics. He looks a bit like Fat Bastard if Fat Bastard wasn't fat. So if he was just called Bastard, basically. And he's shuffling around as a kind of train station porter and... If I sound unenthusiastic, it's because this film is really, really bad and boring. <laughs> and I, it's, uh, it's a shame. It's a debut of uh, a guy called Vaughn Stein who wrote and directed it. Um, but this is not a particularly strong debut. Um, I gave it two stars. Um, and you was, nearly gave it one. Yeah, I, I, I wrestled with between one and two. Wow. It's probably more one, to be honest, but it has a lot of nice neon in it. <laughs> and the actors are good, so the acting is good. <laughs> good um, actors, nice neon. But it mm. has, uh, particularly in the second half, some of the worst twists. I mean, if you don't see the big twist of who the big mastermind, criminal mastermind of the city is when there's only about four people in the film, then you need to see more films. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I think we're saying don't go and see Terminal. Do not see it. And we gave that two stars. Two stars. Two stars for Terminal. Uh, Also out this week is Ideal Home uh, from director Andrew Fleming, which is the bearer of the greatest character name I'm saying in film history. It stars (laughs) Steve Coogan as the gloriously named Erasmus Brumble. Oh, yes. Uh, Brumble. Brumble. Erasmus Brumble. That's uh, good. A narcissistic TV presenter who lives with his long-suffering husband, who's played by Paul Rudd, uh, and they take on the a, an unexpected role of having to raise a ten-year-old boy after Erasmus Brumble's son from a much earlier relationship, who's also a crackhead drug dealer, goes to prison and sends his ten-year-old to live with his grandfather uh, wow. in uh, in Santa Fe, in New Mexico. 
I'm, I'm there just from the cast, to be honest. So. Gen- genuinely, I really enjoyed this. I thought it was great fun. Uh, Paul Rudd in particular, I thought was very, very good. Steve Coogan hands it up a touch, but in a good way. Mm. Uh, but I think Paul Rudd is quite understated and very real, very believable. I don't think you can play a, a character called Erasmus and not <laughs> yeah, hand it up a little that, bit. That's a fair, that's a very fair point. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really touching. And I think the dialogue works really well. There's some really great gags in it. Uh, I think some of the stuff you th- where you think things are going to fall doesn't fall quite where it might. So there's some twists and turns in there. Uh, Jack Gore, who plays the 10-year-old, Bill, Mm -hmm. uh, who is obsessed with Taco Bell. He's loads of fun as well. Surly, grumpy little kid, suddenly being, you know, looked after by his his, uh, gay grandparents. Um, It's nice. And it's, you know, it's about bonding. It's about children. And it's, you know, it's it's, it's a lot of fun. Is there a scene where Erasmus Brumble gets trapped inside a teleporter with a fly (laughs) and transforms into Brumblefly? Brumblefly, yes. Uh, We can only assume it will be on the DVD. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I enjoyed this. It's not what I would call a heavyweight film. Uh, it's you know, it's no great dramatic work, but it's feel good. It's fun. It's funny. Uh, you could f- do far worse than seeing this. Um, our reviewer said it was the best gay screen couple since the Birdcage, which feels a little bit reductive. Um, but uh, maybe shows how few there've been. Well, yeah, I think that's a fair point. Yes, it quite possibly does. Uh, but it is loads and loads of fun. So I, I do recommend that. And we gave that. Four stars. Four stars for Ideal Home. Uh, And with that, I think we're done. That's it from this week's podcast. Uh, We shall be gracing your eardrums once again at the same time next week when we will be speaking to... A guest of some description. Whoa, Uh, we got a guest? One that Chris has not seen fit to share with me, so I can't tell you. Um, We will also be discussing some films. Um, Presumably what we thought of Incredibles 2, which is out next week. Oh, I can Um, do that. You wish you'll be able to do. And a film that could teach gravity, a thing or two about gravity. I do, of course, refer to Skyscraper, starring Rock the Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> yes. Uh, which we're going to see next week. Yes. And I'm really looking yes. forward to. I keep thinking there's a raccoon in it because somebody made a, uh, a fake poster. Yes, um, the Skyscraper Raccoon. With the Skyscraper Raccoon on. And I keep thinking that's going to be in the film, but it's not. I mean, hopefully I'm... there's still time to add it. <sighs> there's still time. I really hope. I really hope that happens. Well, until next week then, that's a tearful adieu from Helen. Adieu. A fond avoidazane from Nick. Avoidazane. And a threatening kaplach from me as we sail off into the west to watch the football in Valinor. The playoff between Lothlorien and Khazad-dûm, I think, is going to be a belter. <laughs> I really think Lothlorien would take that one. Really? Yeah, I mean, the dwarves are, like, tough and everything, but they're really short. I'm sorry, there's a Balrog of Morgoth in goal for Khazad-dûm. <laughs> there is absolutely no chance Lothlorien wins. Oh, you're literally having the... The orcs as the opposing team. Well, they're the current residents. So Do sure. they have a cave troll? They have many cave trolls. Okay, I may have to rework the odds. There we go. <laughs> We've improved the World Cup in measure. I think we're done. Hurrah. Bye. 